Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health Outreach Partners Podcast, Rising Strong Community Resilience in the Face of Long COVID. I am your host, Albert Innocent Amo. Today, we have a very special episode for you as we have not one, but four incredible guest speakers joining us. Our first guest speaker, Dr. Magli Dante, is MHP Salud's CEO. She comes to us with over 20 years of experience in working with underserved and underrepresented populations in Florida. As a licensed mental health counselor, she spends much of her time providing advocacy and support to families with limited resources. Her primary focus as CEO is to find ways to support and sustain community health workers in the workforce and create spaces for community health workers to expand their reach in the community. Our second guest speaker, Monica Calderon, serves as a resource specialist at MHP Salud, holding certifications as a community health worker and a community health worker instructor in Texas. She has a decade of experience in the community health field and has collaborated with various nonprofit organizations that support her focus on community health worker program development and implementation, specifically in areas related to public health and minority health. Monica actively supports the professional development of community health workers. She facilitates educational sessions, offering valuable training and consultation services to fellow community health workers and organizations at local, state, and national platforms. Our third guest speaker, Jennifer Martinez, is a program manager at MHP Salud. She has 13 years of experience in health education and community program management. She is a certified health education specialist and currently manages one of the organization's service areas that implements marketplace health insurance navigation. She believes and is passionate about everyone having access to healthcare through proper health insurance coverage. Our fourth and final guest speaker, Monica Garcia, who joined MHP Salud as a health strategy specialist and is responsible for delivering consultations, trainings and technical assistance to service providers, health organizations, and federally qualified health centers across the nation who wish to strengthen or start the community health worker profession. Monica has directed and grown community-led education programs and health equity initiatives in underserved communities nationally and globally for over 15 years. As an active member of her community in El Paso, Texas, she collaborates with community-led initiatives that improve health equity, food security, and access to affordable and safe housing in culturally and linguistically diverse boroughs in the borderland region. Monica holds an MA in Latin America and Border Studies from the University of Texas at El Paso, where her focus areas were border and rural health. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to our guest speakers. Dr. Dante, Jennifer, Monica C, and Monica G. Those are my favorite, Monica C and Monica G. Thank you all for being here with us today. We're looking forward to hearing from you and learning from your expertise. Um, so before we start having, you know, deep conversations about um, long COVID and how it affects the populations that we serve, especially the migrant seasonal agricultural workers. 
I just want people to have an, a clear understanding of what long COVID is, according to the CDC uh, definition. Um, long COVID is stated as a condition that affects individuals for weeks or even months after recovering from an initial illness. So knowing this at the back of our minds, uh, my question to you, Monica G, is can you explain what long COVID is and how it affects, um, how it differs from acute COVID-19 infections? And what are some of the symptoms um, individuals experience with long COVID and how it impacts their daily lives? Sure. Thank you again, Alba, for having us uh, here. We we love our partnership with uh, health outreach partners as we've been working together for so many years. Um, so just going back to what the CDC, as you explained earlier, um, it uses the term post-COVID conditions, which is PCC. Um, basically as an umbrella or term for a wide range of health consequences that present themselves four or more weeks after the infection of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. This is a virus, of course, that causes COVID-19. So post-COVID conditions are associated with a spectrum of physical, social, and psychological consequences, um, as well as functional limitations that can present substantial cha challenges um, to patients, uh, a patient's wellness and quality of life. We also looked, it also looks at the wide range of like new or persistent symptoms and clinical findings um, that can occur in people with varying degrees of the illness um, from SARS-CoV-2 infection. We also looked at, it also looks at like including patients with mild or asymptomatic COVID infections. These basically affects and are overlapping in multi-organ complications or within the effects of a treatment or hospitalization. So I want to just give you a brief list of some of the main symptoms that are being reported. Since the CDC does list 23 commonly reported symptoms, I won't go over all of them. But some of the most commonly reported clinical symptoms are dys dyspnea or increased respiratory effort. Um, as many of you might know or not, but uh, during COVID, you know, there's it's a it's a respiratory illness, and so it affects the respiratory system quite quite often. And so after uh, experiencing COVID, many people have the long-term effects that they suffer during, uh, during the infection soon after. And so that's one of them. We also see a lot of fatigue. So there's a lot of fatigue that is experienced with the patients who have had COVID-19. Um, there's also cognitive impairment or brain fog, and we, we've heard that on several occasions from, from both service providers and patients who have uh, been infected with COVID-19. Headaches or migraines, which are prolonged, right, and they're, they're consistent, so that's also part of what long COVID is. Insomnia or other um, sleeping difficulties have also been reported. And you, we also see that long term. Um, and part of that is that some of these infections or, or the risk of long COVID has been seen more in patients who got COVID during, who got the virus, I'm sorry, SARS-CoV-2 uh, before uh, vaccines were available. And so now there are 
um, a lower amount or less amount of patients that experience long COVID because of the access to vaccines and boosters. But we still do see um, several uh, patients experiencing these some of these long COVID symptoms. Hey, thank you. That's really deep and a lot to know. And I'm, I'm sure that um, with this being said, Monica C., um, you having, you know, such extensive experience uh, working as a community, you know, certified community health worker and working with, you know, people with long COVID. What are some of the strategies that um, community health workers use to explain long COVID to members um, in the community, especially um, the migrant and seasonal agricultural workers and their families? How, what are the strategies that you guys use? Um, if you care to uh, share a little light on that for us. Sure. So, Community health workers are known for having grassroots connections to their communities. So that's something that is a unique quality that we embrace um, by making cultural connections and definitely respecting an individual's lived experiences. So when we do that um, and implement it into, you know, making connections uh, with our communities, we know the language, uh, we know and learn and identify um, what are some of the experiences that they might be sharing as far as medical or other social needs. In this in this particular area of long COVID, we use plain language to break down medical terms. So if they're experiencing certain um, medical or uh, physical symptoms that maybe they're not connecting to what long COVID is, we take down for example, the definition that Monica shared and you shared, and we connect it to um, our community by explaining it in, in more uh, simple or plain language, um, or, in, or we definitely understand and embrace the culture and um, language, their first language that they might have to build those connections with respect and, and um, in understanding what they might be going through or what are those experiences that they're going through. So if we definitely tune into what they're saying, um, we have opportunity to use one-on-one -on -one, um, connections and then in turn um, identify barriers or other issues that might be associated with long COVID and kind of plan out how are we going to address maybe question, concerns, misinformation, connect them to the appropriate resources and assure and affirm um, that what they're experiencing is definitely something that they can um, connect to a medical professional or, or other social services to get the, the support that they need. So through those, um, those connections with our communities and individuals, we're learning to draw from their experiences, plan our outreach efforts, even the, the information and the material that we lay forward to share uh, with other communities um, through drawing from those experiences that that uh, we learn and connect with um, and going out there and, and talking and having these conversations with the different communities that we work. So having that opportunity to listen, draw from what they're saying, connect, and then um, respond with an appropriate, you know, and culturally sensitive response is part of, of strategizing and moving forward and supporting our communities. Wow, thank you for that. Um, 
I applaud you all, community health workers, for what you do. I know it's not easy sometimes to break things down because I myself have to break things down to my family or my four-year-old, and it's sometimes hard to understand some of these languages, you know. Um, health literacy is not always the easiest to break down in the world that we're in now and with the, with the uh, group that we serve as well. Um, I love that you touched on grassroots connections. And to me, that speaks passion, you know, that's the work you guys are doing, like offering culturally and linguistically competent, you know, things to them. And I, I, I'm going to touch on these things that you said here and there, but to come to um, Jennifer, um, being a certified health education specialist, because you guys have a different role, even though it's tied into, you know, community health workers in a way, but your role is, you know, educating the people of these things. Um, I wanted you to express how um, these individuals or the individuals that we serve being the underserved population or underrepresented, uh, what are some of the challenges faced by these individuals leaving with COVID and how do they interact with the health professionals and how do you, the educationalist, specialist and the community health workers support? And I think um, Monica C touched on this a little bit, but if she ever has anything to chime in, I would want her to, you know, do that. But this is me asking like the challenges facing the underserved population, the individuals leaving the long COVID. Um, Monica mentioned, Monica C mentioned, sorry, that they, you guys, con they connect individuals to resources. So if that was the case, what was the benefit for these people? Like how do they benefit from these resources? Yes. So um, thank you for that. Um, I, I think just going back with what we've mentioned before about sharing um, our lived experiences is is vital um, because we do have um, our culture, right? As Hispanic, you know, personally as a Hispanic um, and growing up with a Mexican family, it was always kind of like you know, a stigma to complain about any, um, anything, any, especially mental, um, any mental illness that you're going through, any sadness, anything at all. So for me, it's been a challenge to acknowledge those feelings of not feeling well. So 2020 um, happened and I've really had COVID three times and I don't know how. I'd wash my hands. I did everything that the CD advises to. And just being a health educator myself, you would think that, you know, um, I would not be susceptible to this, right? But no, um, I am. And um, I think that's helped me even more to understand the level of the seriousness of these um, long COVID symptoms. So I've myself, I've had the brain fog, I've had the chronic fatigue. And it is super important that I can relate to the population that we are serving because I want them to, to, to I want to ensure them that their feelings are valid. 
and that therefore the resources that we are providing for them we want to follow up with them to make sure that they went to go get the resources that are out there or they went to go get the um the health care they went to go visit you know the doctor and went to the referral for the specialist when um monica g went over these um symptoms you know, the symptoms are from one end of the spectrum to the other. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that this might be, you know, different visits to different types of doctors, not only your um, PCP. So when you are educating um, the public and um, your consumers about where to go it is important that we also acknowledge that you know it's not just one visit it might be two three visits and and a lot of follow-up so I the way I do it is I put myself in their shoes and I just put myself in you know what I went through and um, honestly just to 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 look at these symptoms, they they can be complex in both um, diagnosis and therefore treatment. So, you know, being of course from you know the, the the culture and you know it's hard for us to go to the doctor and it's hard for us to continue to get that follow up to get those you know follow up appointments to make sure that we go do the labs because especially because not one, like not every clinic is is a one stop shop so it's very important for us as educators and community health workers to um, know and follow up and um, it's almost like you have that consumer um, for life sometimes you know and 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 as long as we continue to do this type of work we know that there are always um, there's always going to be people out there that that we need to serve and we owe that to them wow the my favorite line in everything you said i mean everything you said is very valid but what i love about what you said is i put myself in their shoes absolutely that is a huge huge place to be that is you have an empathy you know people need to understand empathy and sympathy are two different things Empathy is you trying to feel what somebody's going through. Sympathy, you can, you know, yeah, I get you. We're, we're moving on. But I love that you put yourself in people's shoes. You understand where, you know, you have a lived experience, first and foremost. Acknowledging that to them is also a way of opening up to people and people opening up to you because you're being vulnerable and they will be vulnerable to accepting what you're giving them, you know. Um Mental health is, and I know Dr. Dante will touch a little bit on mental health for us later on, but it's such a huge stigma in our society and in our cultures. I mean, I come from an African culture, which whatever you said just drew back things. Oh, you, you, you need to be a strong woman. You need to hold your emotions in. You're too emotional, you know, and when someone is sick, and this is going to be for Monica uh, C. Um, I'm going to ask you this question about how you help people normalize their feelings because COVID, I know, comes with so many emotions. Like you're sick one minute, you're cold one minute, you're hot, your brain is telling you multiple things, you know, the fogness of it, you're forgetting that you even ate or washed your hands, you know, so many different things. Um, how do you guys make people as community health workers feel like they're not living in a... El alienated 
place maybe they are in venus or jupiter like my daughter loves jupiter so much maybe they live in then they think they're living in earth and you know how they can't tell people what they're going through because that is a hard place to be with your feelings and sit in illness you know that's that doesn't help anyone stressing about your illness and not being able to speak about it how do you guys do this cuz you guys are the expert tell me so definitely we um use those opportunities when we build connections and we have discussions with our community to build trust i know i i mentioned how trust is uh something that's very important to the relations that we have so part of that is as you mentioned um comforting and listening um and definitely demonstrating empathy to our community and individuals we work with but we definitely acknowledge their experiences with respect so when we are listening to what they're going through whether it be maybe challenging a challenge um on something that they don't understand or if they have a question or concern about what they're experiencing in this uh with long covid or with a health issue um we definitely address um what their fears or their does you know their misunderstanding might be and that in itself is the the key connecting point when when we acknowledge what they're feeling and experiencing and we let them express it or give them that assurance that it's okay to share how they feel and it's okay to um have concerns about maybe getting treatment or if they're frustrated because they're having issues navigating the health systems this is where we come in and support the communities um by advocating for them by helping them even through a warm referral and letting them know through example that you will be able to get through this even if it's one phone call one visit at a time one conversation um and just helping them take it day by day and celebrating those victories that they have even if it was just talking about how they feel for that day so we have that opportunity to sometimes be that only person that they get to express how they're feeling to and we have that opportunity to make that that difference in an individual's life so that's where we feel that we help normalize or at least um not have somebody feel that what they're going through is like it's displacing them or displacing them from their community or their health um and that's how we build that that those you know nurturing relationships with our communities and they know that we're sincere i think that's why uh we've been able as CHWs to have a great impact within the community and health and and clinical settings because um we definitely always give them um and validify their their experiences and because we share the same experience in some in some sense we know each individual has different um you know experiences but in some sense we share those moments where we know we can definitely support them in overcoming their challenges i'm going to do a clap because you 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 said something that um I'm officially going to be an MHP Salu baby, just so you know. Um to the audience out there, these group of ladies are amazing. Um celebrating victories is also something that people don't touch on. Like even if it's the tiniest little move, 
you know, telling somebody, oh my God, it's a great thing that you made this call. You talked to this person. How did it go? They feel good because they are empowered. So you are literally empowering the communities to take the initiative to do what is needed for themselves. And the sincerity of it, like having people know that, yes, this Monica C, if I see Monica C, my day is going to be made. You know, if I see Monica G, this is it. Like if Dr. Dante is going to bring me soup tomorrow when she's coming to visit, then that's it. Like, you know, she's going to encourage me to build myself up. And we need so much of that. Like we, like in this time, we need it, not just in our healthcare system, but across public health is so huge that everywhere needs that love, that sincerity. And um, Dr. Dante, I'm going to throw this out to you. Um, I love that Monica C, Jennifer, and Monica G have shared, you know, all these things about, you know, the symptoms, the support. I want to pick your brain on the, the mental aspect of things. How long COVID, you know, potential long-term implications of COVID has had on public health in our health system in our society how are we addressing or how should we should should be addressing these complications how should we do this like you give us the answers and we will run with it and and work with it because you know you are the expert in this field well we can only speak from our perspective and for the most part mhp salute primarily works in socially vulnerable communities that are less resilient in their ability to respond to and recover from nat uh, natural and human made disasters compared to those higher resource communities and for these and all communities long covid symptoms are not only physical but they're also cognitive and psychological as you're stating so if we're going to address the potential long-term implications, we need to admit that many of these long COVID patients have to adjust to an entirely new way of life, either due to acquired physical or cognitive disability or due to the social and occupational consequences of those limitations. This means that patients are feeling fatigued and anxious and fearful if they're ever gonna be able to return to their baseline level of functioning. You know, there comes a point when you get tired of being sick and tired. And so a consideration is that even with accommodations for returning to work, low, long COVID patients may experience triggers and a worsening of their symptoms. And that speaks to the psychological piece that, that you mentioned. To my point, long COVID is now considered a disability under the American with Disabilities Act Section 504, as long as you're, you know, as it substantially limits one or more of your major life activities. This is a significant implication for all of our systems trying to come to terms with how to find a balance between working from home and coming back to the workplace. It is not only the social isolation, loneliness, and bereavement we have to address, but also the financial and occupational instability that the systemic health um, and the systemic health and social inequities. This is going to impact how we move forward. We see this push 
to go back into the office full time. And we hear about getting back to normal. And as leaders, we have to take a hard look at what that means. Because for many, there isn't an option to go back to the way things were. COVID has changed everything. So we have to consider other innovative ways for employees to do their jobs. I understand first responders must be present, but we should consider the types of benefits that we offer employees, the types of work schedules that we offer employees, and honestly start thinking outside the box on how we can support employees, all employees who are struggling with their new normal, which isn't normal at all. So we can't pretend as a society that this is just something that happened to us and it's over. I speak to people all the time who are, are still struggling with the after effects of COVID. I have a group of friends that just came back from a conference who all tested positive for COVID. It is not over. It is still happening and we have to face this reality. And we have an obligation as leaders to consider all the variables in a workplace in order to support our staff and be able to provide them psychological safety. I knew it. Listeners, I knew it. I knew she was going to hit something. Multiple things, actually. Um, less resiliency. You know, people actually think underserved population, special population, have a lot of resiliency. And they try to say, oh, yeah, they built resiliency over time. Okay, they're human, too. And they get weak as time goes on, you know, and it's not consistent. Yes, you can have resiliency, but it's not a straight line. It plateaus. It goes up and down. Um, new way of life. I honestly don't even know what way of life I'm living. I just feel like I'm going through the moment every day. Like since COVID, it's like the people keep saying, oh, this is the new normal. I'm like, is it really the new normal or we are just trying to coast along with the new normal because things are not the way they used to be yes we all understand we experience this as a whole um there's people going through deeper issues than just sniffles or just fatigue you know there's the internal psychological uh, psychological cognitive piece that you mentioned like this is somebody i have a friend actually from church that can't come to church anymore just from COVID and church is only what an hour 30 minutes she can't be in a space like this so she's not working and she's working from home and it took a while for her to even get those kind of accommodations so I can understand the need for um you know leaders to understand that not everybody is going to be happy go lucky let's go back into the office let's kumbaya and do this um I also love the fact that you mentioned long COVID as a disability because I'm very sure 99.99% of Americans are not aware of this and that is an ADA session 504 so I hinted that again and we'll put that in the resources as well myself I didn't know it was a disability it was it had made it to disability because even with migraines when you tell somebody it's a disability you're like oh you'll be fine move on you know so I can understand. And I think it's important that we we highlight these, you know, pieces of things. Um, I love also the fact that th there was something that I wanted you to touch on a little bit more. You said many um, 
there isn't a way for many of us to go back to work and this is you talking to the leaders and this is why i'm putting it back on you again um what are some of the things that you have been doing as a leader you know because i'm sure people who are in leadership would want to have an idea of what you are doing to help with this and learn from you if you don't mind sharing no of course so Typically, leaders think that, oh, we need to look at compensation and benefits, which is part of the equation. But remember, I touched on psychological safety. And so one of the things that happens as a leader is, obviously, I'm not going to know every personal situation for each of my staff. But I do have to give them a space to feel safe enough to come to us when they need an accommodation when things are getting overwhelming. I have a very large population of my staff that are CHWs in the community. So for the most part, most of my staff are in the field and they are experiencing and feeling what everybody else is feeling, They're what their consumers are feeling. So whether it's, I can't pay my bills or you know I have a, a, a sick child, my people feel that and they take that on. So as a leader, I have changed the way that we do um, their individual development plans to talk about not only what where they want to grow and, and thrive as professionals, but almost all of my staff have a self-care goal in their individual development plans. And that is very deliberate because my people take care of people. So I need to make sure that I'm taking care of my people, whether it's helping them learn how to set boundaries, how to take time out for themselves. Um, I have a very deliberate policy where uh, vacation is use it or lose it. And it is very deliberate because I don't want them not to take vacation. So we make that something that we preach. Hey, have you taken your vacation time? Where, where, you know, where can we put it in your schedule? It's almost the end of the year. And all my individual reports know that, hey, I still see hours on here. When are you going to schedule it? Because the work is hard and it doesn't really, there's not a, a slow season. So it's very important that we are taking that time to take care of ourselves. It's it's that same analogy that we use about, you know, you can't, you have to put the oxygen mask on um, before you can give it to someone else. Can't drink from an empty cup. It's all of those things of how are we going to walk the talk and make sure that our people are supported and feel safe to take care of themselves. And they're not going to feel like, oh my God, I can't take a day off because my job might be in jeopardy. That, that way of thinking really has to shift and we as leaders, we set that tone. We set that example. And if we are not good examples, you know, they'll hear us, but they won't follow suit. It is a really inspiring, you know, talk. Like what you just said is, I think a lot of the leaders who will listen to this podcast can learn a thing or two. And as you were talking, I literally wrote down burnout for caregivers. It's real. It is so real. And I always tell people, is it burnout or is it compassion fatigue? Because that's really 
that empathy that you were talking about earlier and are people absorbing their consumer stories and the experiences that they're going through that is really compassion fatigue and that is you know in mental health we say you know when you give too much of yourself to someone else then there's nothing left of you and so that's why we make it such a big deal that people that our staff have to take care of themselves because you can't keep taking care of other people because compassion fatigue does lead to burnout but there are ways to get in front of it so that it doesn't get to that point thank you for clarifying that and explaining that into details and i love how you said it like yes you're you're gonna fool somebody else you need to be fooled you need you need to have water in you before you go water somebody else exactly um and i love that you touch on that self-care developmental goal this is the first time i've actually heard of that because at hop our health outreach partners um we actually take self-care like a personal thing we have like a wellness day and you know all of those things um we even have an assessment tool for it because we're that passionate about self-care. Um, but one of the last things that I want to let the listeners take from this whole um, blurb that you gave was my people take care of other people. So I need to take care of them. Absolutely. That is a mark of a good leader. That is you listening to your people and having empathy to them. You're not like, oh, yeah, go make the big bucks and come back. No, you're like, go make the bucks, come back. Let's talk. Let's figure it out. Let's do this together. And I appreciate that so much. And the way you support your your team, that is really remarkable. Um, We're heading to the end of the session, but I have one last question for you all. And anybody can chime in at any time. Um, As we all work with healthcare professionals and, you know, health centers, staff, you know, how do health professionals and CHWs or community health workers collaborate effectively to ensure a holistic care for the individuals who are suffering or who have long COVID? And if you do this, how important is it for the individuals to access the support networks? Because you guys talked about networks, referrals, you know, all of those things. How how important is it? Is does it does the network create any benefits for them? Is it beneficial to them? Do they love it? Have you heard anything? You know, are there groups that people, you know, that you guys can share here, you know, resources that people can learn from or join, you know, sometimes closed doors type of type type of things help people you know come out of their shell and i would like you all to share with me you know some of these tricks and things that you guys have going on so um this is monica c one of the things that we definitely build our strength on when we're working with our community and helping them learn to navigate the health and social and community system is definitely um, identifying the different cultures and practices and languages that we are embracing. So we always try to establish that connection, not just with the clinical community or the community or the social service or educational community, whatever we're, whatever resource we're, we're helping our community connect to, 
but we also take that time to create warm referrals, which means we find out if the community uh, partner that we're working with, um, do they have and, uh, and recognize, let's say that if they need maybe um, an interpreter or if they have the resources in the, in the individual's languages, do they have somebody that might um, take the time to have a one-to-one -one conversation with them and address any uh, questions or concerns or this is where at CHWs we say well we, we can definitely accompany you and make presence with you if it's um, an opportunity to help at least you know help establish that connection so that an individual can learn to navigate and learn how to benefit from the resources um, in the different areas that we're connecting. So that's definitely a strategy that uh, CHWs um, and MHB definitely embrace, making those warm connections um, and learning about any challenges that, that might arise or any barriers, um, helping provide feedback to those organizations and then strategizing how can we make it better. So um, it, it's a, it does take work, but it's work that you love, that we as CHWs love to do because it, it helps create that assurance for our community that they know that it's not just an individual referral or a, a maybe a health visit or a food bank or another resource. It's an actual type of support that will be fruitful, not just for that moment, but perhaps in the long run. And then the community itself keeps voicing out some of those accomplishments that they made or they come back and give us feedback on barriers or challenges. And that's how we continue to strategize and grow these meaningful relationships with our communities. And, and if I could add to what Monica is saying, you know, if there was one call to action to the leaders that are listening to this podcast, it's that we know that underinvested communities don't have the same resources. So we have an obligation to partner within our communities and create that infrastructure because we know that you don't have the same resources as maybe another area. So everything that the CHWs are doing is wonderful, but as leaders, we have to, you know, the buck stops with us and we have to create those infrastructures and those strategic partnerships to make sure that those relationships are available to, to the, the consumers and the clients that we serve. Yeah, and, um, and I'm so sorry. I'd like to just add a little, uh, a little tidbit because this is Jennifer, by the way. So, I just wanted to say how how special I feel to work with such a great organization that actually goes into those communities and helps our consumers. Just because, as human beings, I think we are a little hesitant to ask for help. We may need the help, but we don't always ask it, and. Our community health workers are special in their own right by the the means that they go into the communities, they go into, you know, the client's homes if, if need be, if the client can't get into, you know, to, to where we are serving them, we go into these communities and that allows us to assess other needs. They may be coming to us for, you know, for, um, you know, Medicaid application assistance, but, you know, the fact that they invite us into their homes, we're able to assess something more and therefore provide a resource referrals with the with the with the partners that we work with. So it's super important 
important to highlight that. Um, you know, I feel like I said, I feel blessed to work with this organization because we actually do um, live in the communities that we serve. Wow. Boots on the ground. All to action. A company to establish connections. You ladies are just like super women. You know, um, we can be, we can strive to be like you guys and, you know, what you do and how you do it with love and compassion um, and also with grace. Let me give you ladies that. You have grace to do this because um, I come from a community that's, you know, underserved as well, Black. And with everything that happens on a, on a regular basis, we see all the things, the resources that we don't have. And it's true. Community partnerships starts from the top. Because if a CHW goes somewhere to ask, you know, a leader, oh, can we partner with you? It's not going to work. But if that leader, you know, if Maggie steps out, Dr. Dante steps out and, oh, hey, hi, I'm a Dr. Dante. Can we work with you on A, B, C, and D? That thing pins out. And sometimes leaders don't realize that them being the face of the group brings more in, you know, it helps the ones that are doing the real work, do the real work. And I think Monica has something to add to it. So I'm going to stop talking because I'm so mesmerized by you all. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah. So the Monica G, thank you, Abba. And just to echo... Uh, what everyone said. Um, we do, MHP Salud uh, has and creates an abundance of culturally relevant resources that are available online for anyone to access. And uh, specifically, like, how do you do the type of outreach that you need? Um, how do you support your CHWs uh, within within the workplace? Um, and those are you know, available resources, uh, freely available resources through our website um, at uh, www.mhpsalud.org. And and a lot of them are collaborations about even between um, organizations like yourselves and us, you know, collaborations that we've worked with, with Farm Worker Justice, that has a lot of um, also uh, information on migrant and seasonal agricultural workers and how they can obtain or or file for disability benefits due to long COVID. Um, so these are things that you can find in these partnerships, like Maggie was saying, that we've developed even uh, at the national level, you know, with our partners uh, talking about um, various topics and in particular long COVID. I also wanted to mention that um, for all the listeners out there when working with communities, uh, particularly farm workers or Latino communities, uh, communities that are especially systemically marginalized, um, you will see a lot that they will not refer to their symptoms to long COVID, um, especially in Spanish. That's It's not a, a reference to that. It's usually they uh, will look at their symptoms as, as something that might be normal. Um, but it's good to, as a provider and as a CHW and um, as folks that work within the clinical system, to look at 
uh, the patient holistically um, and look at it look at it through a different lens, particularly because of how our communities are coming from. As Maggie explained earlier, yes, our communities are very resilient, but there comes a point where uh, there is this, you know, we, we, we don't want to be resilient all the time. We want to be uh, just like everyone else experiencing life um, like everyone else is, you know. And I think that's that's how uh, our communities usually deal with things. And it's important to probe, to ask questions, like Monica was saying, to find out if this is something that the patient has experienced before or not. And if it's new, uh, to 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 uh, explore it a little bit more um, with uh, culturally relevant uh, resources and uh, questions and activities that they can um, engage in so that they feel that they can actually express um, the some of these symptoms that we saw earlier today. Wow. Monica actually, in a way, was trying to wrap up the session when we're just having fun. But I love everything that you said. Look at the person holistically. Don't just go with what they're saying. Um, you know, look deeper, ask questions, dive deeper. You never know. There might be other things that people don't say because they might be embarrassed, you know, stigmatization. Um, they might also not remember fog until you say it. Then they're like, oh yeah, I, I remember I did this. I This happened to me, you know? And with, with all of this information that, you know, has been brought upon us today, these esteemed ladies with their knowledge and their lived experiences and their passion, I want us to hear from you guys one last time how we all can raise awareness, how community health workers can raise our awareness, but also how we can support you because I feel like it's not just one person's job because even as a listener or as a host, I might have a relative that might be going through this. How can I support your work? Be easier, you know, because I think sometimes when we have these conversations with our families, it breaks down a bit of the walls when a professional person comes in, you know, when a community health worker walks into my room and I already know that my daughter told me, oh, they're going to talk about A, B, and C, and D. When you come in and you start talking, they're like, oh, wait, why is this person asking me this question? Why do you want to, why are you in my business? That's the first thing. Why is she in my business? You don't want people to have that roadblock. And I know you guys do it with so much love and grace that it, it comes easy because they know you, you live in the communities. But what about those who don't have the CHWs or community health workers or education specialists living with in their communities? You know, people have to come visit them. Do you guys have any, you know, advice on how we can connect people with appropriate resources, uh, any parting words, anything that the listeners can take away from this session, please share with us. I will say that if you are not of the community, but you want to serve the community to show up with curiosity and openness to other people's experiences, because that makes a huge difference when culturally we're different, but we want to you know, understand each other. But when you come with that openness of curiosity and asking questions, any anything is possible. 
And I just want to say, um, don't give up. As community health workers, we might, um, you know, share our knowledge, share resources, and our consumers might not always hear us the first time. But, you know, the passion for, you know, the passion for them shows when you follow up. Um, that's that's my word today. Follow up, follow up, follow up. You can't, I can't emphasize that enough because it's important that they know that we care about them. Definitely. I also support that um, and just be continuous and supportive. Um, provide that space for being empathetic and listening um, to our communities. I think that's something that's very important. Having an opportunity to share a voice in a platform like this today definitely goes a long way. Um, and we're raising that awareness that we're still working towards connecting with our communities at all levels and sharing this knowledge on that long COVID is still present and it's part of our commitment to our health and communities to, you know, provide safe spaces to talk about how we feel and that it's okay to look for help when and support when we need it. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, so very much. My padding words is, of what I learned is curiosity, openness to learn. Do not give up, especially when you have passion. Follow up, follow up, follow up. Jennifer, I heard you so many times on the follow up and I'm taking that with me. I'm actually following up on my own mom who won't listen to anyone but me. So I'm taking one you know, trick from your sleeves, Community Health Worker 101, follow up, follow up, follow up. Um, continues and be supportive, you know? Don't go in judgmental like Dr. Dante said. Have an open mind. I think that's very important for all of us to carry with us. Empathy and listening. Listening doesn't mean you have to listen and be talking. Listen attentively. Be present in the moment. And I would love to continue the session but everybody here has a busy schedule and we all want to wrap up and I'm, I'm, I have amazing group of ladies that I know at some point in time I'll meet in person and have lots of food to eat maybe we'll share that with the listeners at some point in the next episode um, but I want to really really thank you so much on behalf of Health Outreach Partners um, Cindy um, Executive Director uh, my producer who is behind the scenes, Christabel. I would love to thank Monica C, Monica G, Jennifer, and Dr. Dante for being here, sharing your time, sharing your experiences, sharing your expertise lovingly to all of us. And I know I'm not going to go home, you know, I would think about this for a very long time. All the words that have been shared here, um, it's invaluable. It's not something that we can, you know, offer something and say, oh, here, get this and you're done. This is something that's going to live for a very long time. And I know that our listeners would appreciate this. So I want to really, really give your heartfelt gratitude and also special shout outs to you, Monica and Jennifer, who are like boots on the ground, you know. Um, we appreciate you guys so much because without your work and without the things that you guys do out there, most of the people that you serve won't be where they are. 
people wake up every day because of you guys, you know? So we appreciate your hard work, all the community health workers out there, all the health education specialists, uh, nurses, doctors, hospital staff, you know, the people who do the actual work with the patients. We appreciate you all so much. And also thank you for the providers who do the training and come up with the resources. Um, research is not easy, so I know how that is. Um, so we appreciate all the work that has been done and we thank you so much on behalf of a good Thanksgiving. Save me some food. Freeze it if you have to. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much. much. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank, thank you, you, Abba. Thank you.